Again, that's Eminem for those of you that don't know. And if you do know, shame on you. Repent, you evil, vile thing for knowing that music. I'll go sit in the corner later when we're done. It'll be all right. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Lou. And we have gathered this week together to tell you that if you keep walking, it's because someone is pushing you. (laughs) Every time I say one of those, Lou just like gives me this look like, how is that supposed to make sense of what we're talking about? I'm, I'm thinking about it, yeah. Just you wait. We are continuing our look at soteriology. Last week we went through the Ordo Salutis. We have, def- we have provided the definitive and final word at the Ordo, so mm-hmm. listen to that and you will have all the problems of Western and Eastern civilization solved and know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm kidding. It's Remember, in 45 minutes or so, we cannot give you an exhaustive look at all of these topics. It's that's, a really good place to start, though. See, that's the goal. Our right. goal is not to be like, we have said all that needs be said. Thou hast obtained the knowledge. No, our goal is you now have a framework, a nice little skeleton structure by which you can then go and hang the drywall and run the electrical and all that good stuff. It's like an appetizer. Exactly. There you go. I mean, you're hungry for the word of God. We're going to give you the appetizer and then you go get the main course. So does that mean the joke at the beginning is the drinks? Could be. Possibly. Possibly, yes. So, and when you finally don't have to listen to us anymore, that's the dessert. That's how that works. That's that, I am stretching this analogy <laughs> until it snaps back and dessert. hits me in the face. Yeah, when you don't have to listen to these guys, it's, it's always a good thing, right? <laughs> I know enough. I'm sorry. I won't do it anymore. Therefore, yeah. you shall go into the corner and repent, and it will be all right. So, what are we talking about in regards to soteriology, for those of you that aren't in the know with the cool kids? That is the doctrine of salvation. We are not doing this in any logical order this week, because what I want to do is answer the problem first before we dive headlong into soteriology, which will probably be the next couple weeks. So we are going to start with the understanding of assurance, and that's going to be the goal today. And the reason why we are starting there is I think the Ordo Salutis gives you the jumping off point to grant assurance, but also raise a bunch of questions about assurance. Because if you understood the Ordo and what we talked about, first of all, congratulations. I'm not sure I understood what we said last week. And I'm kidding, but I can understand it can be some heady stuff. But at the same time, if you got it, then you either walked away going, man, I am secure in God and I am good to go. Or you walked away going, but now I don't know. Either way, we either want to confirm you in that or put you on the right track. So our jumping off point is 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, you're probably going, wait a minute, that, that's, that was my question point from last week. Well, we're not done yet, so calm down. 
Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard the an- that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. Ooh, that just like stuck a pinhole in dispensationalism, didn't oh, it? Oh, I know but, it. But we're not going no, there. Hey, well, you, you open that door. No just, shiny objects, did. no shiny objects. I'm not going there. Many Antichrists <laughs> have appeared. For this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You're going, yeah, but, 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 but there was a lot of if in there. I understand that. We want to put the if in its proper context and make sense. So let's bullet point this. So verse 15, love God above the world, right? Absolutely. This is supposed to be easy. What are you supposed to love above God? Nothing. The Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, that's the Shema. Um, a nice little bullet point to, to give you an idea how serious God is. What did Jesus tell you in Matthew 10? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. See, this becomes easy becomes really easy to realize that I love God above the random things of the world when I recognize that God is calling me to love him above my own dear family. See, by air, by measures of degree, this is a simple concept. John, in his letter, is not pulling this out of thin air. He was there in the room when Jesus said it. Right. He was there when his mother and brothers came hunting for him because they thought he'd lost his mind. And he was there when Jesus said, no, these are my mother and my brothers. Everyone who does the will of my exactly. father. Exactly. Right. And we're going is... to answer that question. You're like, what do you mean those who? That's an if. You keep throwing an if in there, and it's driving me crazy. We're going to get there. Inhale. Exhale, inhale, exhale. We'll all work through this together. Now, one of the big reasons, just in case you didn't know all that with the, with the loaded statement that John gave you, why should I love God above the world? Well, because the world isn't going to last, verses 16 and 17. Again, not unique to John. Second Peter, t- uh, Second Peter 3, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So this place is going bye-bye. Now, I think understood properly, this is a cleansing fire, not a destroying fire, but that's another eschatology argument, and I'm not going to chase the shiny object. I'm going to be smart, and we're not doing it. So (laughs) since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. It's not just Peter either. Mm-hmm. Paul gets this. I don't think Mary was included in any of this. So they, they were, she was too busy writing Puff the Magic Dragon, but that's okay. Oh First Corinthians 7. I See, I am a fount of useless pop culture right there. 
Well, we did Peter, now we're doing Paul, so we got to skip Mary because okay. we're not Catholic. But I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. Those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Right. See, recognizing the temporary nature of this place in light of the permanence of God's kingdom right. should drive you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love the things of this world as is the command. Right. So John doesn't stop there though. He continues, verse 18, false teachers are abounding. This too is not <laughs> unique to John. No. Jude What's, what did Jude want to do? I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. That's what, that's what we want to talk about. Right. We want to talk about the joys of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the love for one another, the fellowship of the saints, all of these awesome things. But I felt necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Well, why did he feel that need? Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to deal with false teachers. You ever notice that about false teachers? They never start their own church. Like, is there ever, they like... creep in. Yes! Like, people under disguise, and they carry away, what, feeble women... All kinds of things like that. Yeah, yeah. They take, they prey on people. Yeah, they, there's never like we're, we're going to open First Baptist Church of the Heretics. Like nobody opens that. They always sneak into your church and be like, "Hey, psst, did God really say?" <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're looking around and going, "What are you people doing?" Well, we're going over here. Why? That's dumb. What's the rule? Don't, Don't do, do dumb, dumb things. things. Right. See, this is, this is, again, this is how this always works. Paul made the same warning to Timothy. They charged him in the presence of God, 2 Timothy 4, to preach the word. Why? Because there's going to come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Turn away their ears from the truth. Turn aside the myths, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Paul warned the church of this in Acts 28 when he was going to Jerusalem. He's like, you know, savage wolves are coming. They're going to take you apart. This is what you have to worry about. This is the problem that's going on. I wrote 28. I think it's supposed to be 26. I apologize for that in advance. So read the book of Acts. It'll do you good. It's one of those verses. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here's the problem. So I've been warned. Like, I'm not to follow the world. But I see these teachers who I know are false, and people are going after them. What about those people? Like, what do I do? Well, this is where verse 19 is so helpful. John tells you. They walked away because they were never in. Like, they got out. Right. They're, they're the anti-Godfather. Like, oh. remember Michael Corleone? <laughs> Every time I think they're out, they pull me back in. Oh That's my. what the Holy Spirit does. You try to walk away, he snatches you by the back of the head and drags you back caveman style. Right. If you've walked away, it's because the Holy Spirit was like, Bye. Have fun. We're good here. The Holy Spirit let you leave, which means he didn't care if you left. That's a red flag. This is part of the warning here. Why is this the warning? Well, because John understood this. What did he write in his own gospel? 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in some other way, you know, the false teachers, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He puts forth all his own. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So, if the sheep are following the voice of the stranger, then they don't belong to the shepherd. Mm-hmm. See how this works? This is your justification for your First John 2.19. They walked away because they didn't belong. They weren't here. And this is consistent with what you see in Scripture. Because who is the shepherd? Well, obviously Christ is a shepherd. How many ways are there to the shepherd? It's only one Just way. one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right. When Peter was given the opportunity in Acts 4, what did he say? There's salvation in no, no one name. else. Yep. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Yeah. There's one way. This was the point of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Mark, which is kind of like your Reader's Digest version of the Gospels. You know, Peter's public ministry, preaching and teaching. Right. You know, if you're trying to preach in public to a crowd, you, you want to get in, make a point, and get out. And if you got a couple of them, you don't want to drag it on. You want to get to the next point and get as far along in the story as you can. I think that's why Mark's gospel is written the way that it is. Because Peter, dealing with the world that he's dealing with, was just trying to get info out there. It right. wasn't about writing this out systematically. That's what Luke is for. This wasn't about making a point of how Jesus fulfilled all of these things. That's what John is for. It's not about proselytizing the Jewish world necessarily. That's what Matthew's for. Mark is kind of like your punch-in-the-face gospel. Well, and, and, that, and, and, and that whole culture was an oral culture. They mm-hmm. transmitted things orally before it was written down. So it made sense for it to be concise. Oh, yeah. Now, in that vein, what's the first thing? Like, if, if, if Peter's going to get you to the punchline, what's the first thing he gets? What's Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark? It's chapter 1. After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Right to the point. Yeah, we're here we go. We are hitting the ground running. Those who repent and believe the good news, they are granted adoption. They are granted the Holy Spirit. All the fun stuff we talked about last week or listened to last week, it will do you good. If you have not repented and believed, you don't get all of those things, which means right. you are now a ship without an anchor. Yeah, and it's interesting how at some point in time, you know, God will allow you to repent or he won't. Mm -hmm. Because if you repent, certain people, if they repented, they would believe and change their minds. But they were under condemnation. So the people who repent, it kind of goes back to that. Those who were among us who went out from us, they weren't really... They were were never never in. They got out because they were never actually in. In. So there's, there's a selection going on Exactly. Here. That's part of that. Um, let me see. How, how did we do this last week? My brain does not want to work. This is your decree at the very beginning. Your right. God's calling in ordination and all those things that we kind of summarized under decree. Yeah. He decrees a people and he claims that people. Yeah. This goes all the way back. See, the order salutis will do you good. Right. Understand it. Make sense of it. Look, even if you want to disagree with our ordering, make sense of it so that you can actually logically think through salvation and how it applies. This is good for you. Now, By contrast to those who wandered away, what about the rest of us who are stuck standing around? Well, we persevere in Christ. And again, that's not new to John either. What shall we say to these things? This is Paul, Romans 8, after that that golden chain of 28 through 30. Mm -hmm. Those who he called, he knew. You know, those we knew, he called. Those we called, he he destined and justified justified and all that. We'll, We'll read more of it later. What shall we say to these things? If Christ is for us, who's against us? 
he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who brings a charge against God's elect? No one. Why? Because God is the one who justifies. And he's not talking about worldly charges. He's talking about eternal charges. See, to wander away from the church is to be placed back under condemnation, to be subject to the schemes and charges of the devil, the accuser of the brethren, to be under the wrath of God. In God, in the Holy Spirit, grounded in Christ, that's null and void. There are no charges. There are no accusations. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This matters. So we persevere. Why? Because we are in him. Because we are in him, we will persevere. Yes, that's slightly circular. That's the point. Your understanding of assurance, and you ready? I mean, I'm going to give away the answer here. Your understanding of assurance and your assurance of assurance, <laughs> is if, that, if that's a thing, and if it's not, it is now. We're talking in circles here. Let's get it. Your assurance of assurance is not in you. Right. It's in Christ. Right. I will persevere because I am Christ. I am in Christ. How do I know I'm persevering is our question. Ha, 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 ha. We're not there yet. So... In order to walk away, you have to deny Christ and deny God. That's kind of the opposite of perseverance, isn't it? Well, when you deny, deny Christ, just like if you affirm the Son, you affirm the Father. Because they are one and the same. One and the same. I mean, this is you where your Trinitarian theology comes in. You can't just deny one and think that you're going to get the other. Exactly. This is why we reject Mormonism. They have a different Jesus, therefore they have a different uh, Yahweh. They, don't, they mm-hmm. can't have the right understanding. Same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. Same thing with all of these quote-unquote sects of Christianity, S-E-C-T-S, for those of you who think I'm saying something wrong because mm-hmm. I did not enunciate well. Right. This, is, this is part of the problem is you have the wrong Christ. If you have the wrong Christ, you do not have God. That's why when someone looks at you and goes, well, the Jesus I believe in. Dude, we're done here. If the Jesus you believe in is something other than the Jesus of Scripture, then you haven't got anything. It's called idolatry. Exactly. Isn't there a commandment against that? (laughs) You shall have no other gods before me. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, mean, when you make God out in your own image, after your own likeness, Mm -hmm. because you don't like a God that's judged, you know, that will judge somebody as just and sovereign and decrees things, and some pots are made... (laughs) Now you're going back into Romans 9 again. I know, I know. Let's let's not go there, but but (laughs) all I'm saying is, is, is when we do that, we... We fail. We have to let Absolutely. the scripture define God because that's the only way we will know him truly. And that's the point. Now, John doesn't just make this point here in First John. He makes the same point in Second John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. This is your Galatians 1, 6 through 9. If I or an angel from heaven preaches to you another gospel, he is to be anathema. Right. He is to be accursed. He is He's to be cursed. cast out. This is, this is simple and this is basic. If we do not have our understandings of who Christ is, what he has done, uh, listen to the episodes on Christology that will help you understand what we're talking about. If I do not have a grounding in those things, I cannot understand why he has done this, and I will not have my understandings of salvation right. And I will be, again, the ship without a rudder, the tongue that is untamed. I will be all of those things that Scripture describes as bad. One of the goals of Christian living is to not be the things that Scripture says are bad. Right. I don't want to be the bad things. I want to be the good thing. So what's John's punchline in this little section? That I keep walking faithfully. Now you're going, but... uh, See, there's that if again. 
how do I know I won't one day walk off with them? Well, because you're continually walking faithfully. This is your warning, uh, Matthew 24. They will deliver you to tribulation, will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Oh, that just got chipper and happy, didn't it? Sure did. We're supposed At, to rejoice in those things. Exactly. Though. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Now, when he says fall away, this is the those that went out of us because they were not of us. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Many people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Mm -hmm. But again, you're going, you just threw out that if again. Yes, yes, I did. Paul picks up on this. So I, assay, so I say this and affirm together with the Lord. So he's agreeing with what Jesus has said. That you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. But they, having become callous, have given, them so over, given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, but just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in, the, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Mm -hmm. See, what is the truth? I mean, I think that's a... This goes back, this is your good news of the gospel. The word is the truth, right? Jesus in his high priestly prayer. What Christ has I, done. I, I sanctify them in the truth. Your word, O oh God, is truth. By his word. So right. we are grounded in the word yes. so that we may walk accordingly. Right. So the assurance here is actually, here, here's your answer. The assurance of my salvation is actually found in my walk. See, the one who walks away walks away because they don't have a foundation that is built. There is nothing that is grounding them Excuse me. <coughs> there is nothing that is grounding them to God because they do not have a Holy Spirit. They do not have their works of righteousness. They do not have a proof of sanctification. They do not have any of these things. Therefore, they are anchorless. The believer has assurance because the believer has sanctification. Right. They're not trusting. They're also not trusting in their own no, works. No, they're trusting, trusting in, in the Christ. finished work of Christ. You're trusting That's where we find our justification. But the proof that I'm on the right track is not necessarily where I'm going. It's where I have been to get to this point. Because the assumption of all believers is we all want to get to Christ. So when I have my doubts and my worries, what I look back upon is what Ephesians 4 is talking about. How have I learned Christ? How have I been renewed? How have I been the new self? This is where I am assured, and this is why that grants assurance. He's doing it. You keep walking because someone is pushing you. If he stops pushing... You stop walking and you wander off I the like path. I like how you brought that full circle. See, there. that made yep. sense now. Yep. You're like, dude, so deep, man. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> this is why that's the that, that's our little our little fun bit at the beginning. You are walking the path of sanctification, which is part of our order salutis, because you have been justified. Right. You're not being sanctified so that you will be justified. No, you have been justified. You have been adopted. Therefore, you will be sanctified. This is why perseverance was part of the ordo. Because you will be sanctified, you will persevere to the end. Mm -hmm. Well, what if I don't? Then you weren't justified. 
Well, how do I know? Are you being sanctified? See, this, this goes back to like, people, one of my favorite questions I get in church. That's a good question one. Always like that people always like to ask. I'm afraid I may have gotten mad one day and committed the unpardonable sin. Well, if you... <laughs> like, people right. seriously, yeah. they're, and they're serious, and I don't laugh at them because they're, in that moment, they're like, I'm going to hell, aren't I? And it's like, dude, if you think you may have done it and that bothers you, you probably couldn't. You have haven't done yeah, it. Because your, be- your conscience is Because a blaspheming you. of the Holy Spirit would be a searing of the conscience and a hardening of the heart, right. so, which would be a, a confirmation of the condemnation that will be justly yours for your sin. See, we're getting all philosophical on you. Philosophical. <laughs> we are philosophizing. Right. <laughs> which is kind of like moisturizing, but with your brain. Moisturizing with your brain. Yes. Like See, that, that made perfect sense, didn't yes. it? Yes. These, these are the that. thoughts. I, these are what I refer to as the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. <laughs> <laughs> I have them, and then I say them, and people look at me going, are you okay? And the answer is no, mind. I'm not okay. <laughs> but I'm okay with it. No. They, are, they are going to be condemned. Therefore, you have not committed the sin, because, and I know you haven't committed the unpardonable sin because you're worried about it. Same way with you, Christian. I'm worried about my walk. Then your walk is good. Because the fact that you're worried about it means you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're being spurred on to action and holiness, and you are longing for the upward call that is found in Christ. Therefore, the Spirit is at work, and I don't have to worry about you. I worry about the people who I see in their sin, and like, no, I'm good. No, you're not. I can see you. Well, that doesn't mean discipleship is over with. No. But, you know, we we can see that a, a tree is known by its fruits. Right. And yeah, if you're bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Right. If you're bearing good fruits, then you know that something is working in your life. Yeah. I'm talking about pastorally how I worry. Okay. I don't worry about the people who are worried about their walk. Right. Because I know your walk is good. I will guide you. I will disciple you. And I will point you in good directions. And I don't have to stress because I know the Holy Spirit's doing his job. Got it. I worry about the people who are like, no, I'm, I'm fine, dude. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not fine. You, 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 you are the absolute opposite of fine and you need to worry. You need to be afraid for the, sake, for the fate of your soul. If you are worried about the fate of your soul, I don't have to worry about you because the Holy Spirit's got you. And he's much better at his job than I am. Yeah. So I let him do his job, and I do my job, which is the building up and the encouraging, so that you then have tools in your toolbox so that the Holy Spirit can crack open your brain, open the toolbox, and be like, all right. Got this. Yeah, see, this is, this is how this is supposed to work. Nice, I needed this, and now you have given it to me so we can go to work about cleaning these things up. Now, we say all of that because this is the problem we have in the modern Christian world. None of the problems here are new. For those of you that are lacking assurance, you stand in a long line of people going back about 700 years, which should either comfort you or depress you to no end. And I will let you decide which one that is. I mean, go back through what we call uh, the, what we would call free grace theologies. Go all the way back to the 14th and 15th century, and you have what were known as the free spirits. Just people, you know, just doing their own thing, not worried about what was happening. They would get their salvation. They would lose their salvation. They would get it on Tuesday, lose it on Thursday, get it back before the weekend. Mm-hmm. You just, it's like, what is wrong with you people? They were just basically like, imagine hippies in the Middle Ages. But like yeah. middle age, not like middle-aged hippies as in they're 50 years old, but like hippies in the Middle Ages. So do they still play the flute? Because I think the flute was big in the Middle Ages. But I don't think 
Jimi Hendrix was big in the Middle Ages, no, no so they weren't good. Yeah. They weren't good hippies. Yeah, probably not. I'm trying to make my see again thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. Right. So basically, hippies with the King's English, like oh. thine is a rocking band, my homie. <laughs> wow. That was. <laughs> Thou shalt attendeth thine poetry jam. <laughs> yeah, it's like the beatniks, you know, with the little snaps going, be like groovy, man. Because the beatniks were the were the proto hippies of the twentieth century. I think we need to stop this. The, yeah, proto hippies. Oh, like proto gnostics of the first century. We had the yeah. proto hippies of the fifties. Yep. They had the berets and they drank coffee and smoked cigars, cigarettes underhanded. Oh, that's funny. I can remember that. See, you're picturing this now. Yes, see, I am. see, see how see how grounded I am in useless pop culture yep. and how unhelpful it is for all of us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but these people flourished in the 14th and 15th centuries in Europe. This was who they were. This is your lack of assurance because of free grace. The Lutheran majoristic controversy of the 16th century. So we're continuing to move forward. What was the problem? You had a theologian with the last name Major, hence the majoristic. It had nothing to do with baton twirlers or anything like that. Um, had to do with a theologian named Major who taught that your good works were necessary not for salvation, but for sanctification. And see, that division, in, well, his was, that's not a division, that's a mashing of justification and sanctification. Because his point was that some good works led towards sanctification rather than what I would call the orthodox understanding, which is sanctification leads to good works. You are justified, you are being sanctified, and while you do cooperate in your sanctification, you cooperate because the Holy Spirit has first moved. Make sense? Right. It is a synergistic work in that you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but it is primarily a work of the Holy Spirit in that he moves primarily, you move secondarily. Right. So you address sin areas, not because you were like, oh, dude, I'm sinning, because the Holy Spirit went, look, dude, you're sinning. And then you responded rightly to it. See, Holy Spirit moves, you respond. This is how your sanctification works. You, therefore, are doing the good works because the Holy Spirit went, ooh, look, dude, something good. And you went, awesome, I'll do that. And yes, I, I fully believe the Holy Spirit calls you dude. Unless you're a chick, in which case he calls you dudette. Yeah, that makes sense. Because chick is offensive, which is why I'm saying it again. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go in. We get the antinomian controversy of the six of the 17th century. And by the way, that's not going away either. We still have antinomians to this day. Yeah. The anti-law people, because what they're doing is, again, free grace, man. It's kind of like free love, but it's a, bi a Bible concept. So the idea behind free grace is we're not bound by the law. Ignore Romans. Ignore everything that John wrote, ignore everything that Jesus said in Luke 6. Read Luke 6, it will do you good. Ignore all of that. We're free, man, in the grace of God, and we walk accordingly because, like, we do and stuff. And good Bible-believing theologians rightly pointed at that and went, um, nope. no. Nope. No. Good works are not the are not the producer of sanctification, but sanctification is the producer of Good works, but we must define those good works. Therefore, we can't be antinomian, which means against the law. We actually have to have a law by which we define good works. And thanks be to God, he did what? He gave us one. Yeah. He actually explains what your good works look like. If you want a summary, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what was Jesus' new commandment. Love one another. Start there, and everything kind of falls into place. Yeah, it was, it was new in the understanding of it, yes. but not new in... And the fact that God had never given it before. And I think no. that's an important distinction. People listening to us need to under, understand that this is something that, that God had established 
when he gave his word to Moses. Well, and this is my favorite paraphrase of Paul, because I never remember what chapter of Romans it's in. It's either in 5, 6. Just read Romans. It'll do you good. But, but like, okay, how do I love my neighbor? What does that look like? Well, again, you know what a good starting point would be? Don't kill him. Right. Don't steal his stuff. Don't sleep with his wife. Don't covet. Don't lie to him. Hey, that's a pretty good start with loving him. Is that, you're talking about Romans uh, 13? Is it 13? 13. See, eight. read Romans. It'll do you good. Yeah. yeah. Paul uses the same argument, and I, and I love that because I think it makes sense. How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, I don't know. How about recognizing the good things that he's done for us? How about treating his name and his, himself as something that is holy? How about not making idols? I mean, how about esteeming him? See, this is your summary. Now, what does that look like in a culture? This is where your Levitical law comes into place, where God defined this out for Israel. Yeah. So and if you're not into oxen, then figure out what, how stewarding your oxen in your home well in Leviticus applies to how you steward your possessions in your home well in 21st century, wherever it is that you live. And do those things, and now you are applying the law. We're not antinomian. We're not lost salvation. We are saying that because the Holy Spirit is spurring you to these good works, he will identify the areas of sin that you will abstain from, and he will also point to you based on what God has told you is right and good right. towards the good things that you are to do. Therefore, we are not antinomians. Right. So, I mean, if you're listening to us, it's really important that we get this. I mean, we cannot unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. See what he did think, there? And think that our lives are good to go. We have grace. We don't need anything else. I mean... There's an order to it, you know. The sanctification produces the good works, Michael just said. Uh, uh, Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. But prior to that, it's, For by grace you are saved, through faith. We and need that, to understand the order of that. Mm -hmm. You know, God mm -hmm. gives us the salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, but it's not over with then. We have to walk out our, our salvation and with fear and trembling. And this is what it looks like. It looks like walking rightly. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's all good historical stuff. Look, this was a 20th century controversy. Free grace reared its ugly head in the lordship movement, yeah. which is modern-day antinomianism, the carnal Christianity that, yeah. we, that we want to uh, denigrate and get rid of so badly. Lordship Anti-lordship guys were like, well, you know, once God saves you, you're good. Doesn't matter what you do. You spit in his face. You kick him in the shins. You, you steal God's lollipop, and he still loves you. And No, that's not bearing fruits and keeping with repentance. That's not walking by the Holy Spirit. That's walking in the flesh. Worldliness right. that First John 2, where we started, condemns and tells you to walk away. Right. See, all of these free grace theologies, by definition, deny justification by faith alone. Because they have to, by definition, add something to justification. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to lose it. If justification is only by faith then once that is done and I am sealed by the Holy Spirit, I can't lose it. In order to get that taken away, I have to make a partial sealing that I'm cooperating with. You know, like God brings his half of the seal and I bring my half of the seal. And if I ever take mine away, then I'm out. Are you talking about the sacraments? Well, that could be an argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think some of, well, Christendom, and I say that, I try, I'm trying to be respectful here to our Catholic, I'll Catholic say brothers it. and Catholics sisters. Catholics are going to hell. No. <laughs> they no. actually think through the sacraments that they're cooperating with the Holy Spirit, and, and that's how they're saved. No. And I, I'm, being, I'm being facetious there. Not, not all Catholics are going to hell, but 
good catechized walking in the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church Catholics may actually be. I've argued for years that there are many a Roman Catholic sitting in the pews of Catholic churches that I think we will see in heaven. Yeah. The reason that will be the case is because they're terrible Catholics. Right. They're not you know, praying to Mary. They're not thinking that the priest gives absolution. They're just sitting there trusting in Christ and jumping through the hoops. The priest says, jump through the hoops, because that's what Jesus says. That's how they think about it. And I think yeah. that's a childlike faith, and I think that's a good trust. I think as more they learn, they, um, they get out of that and they walk away. I, and, I know that's how it was for me. I was born and raised in, in the Roman Catholic Church. I married a good Catholic girl. And for years, <laughs> we, we went to, to both, both churches. And, and it, it came to a point in my life and my walk with Christ that I could no longer go to those places. And, and we had these conversations. And, mm -hmm. and, and I talked to my wife and I'm like, do you say uh, the, the, the Hail Mary and all this? And she's like, no, why would I do that? I pray directly to God. <laughs> and I said the same thing that Michael just said. You're well, a you're terrible not, Catholic. You're not a very good Catholic. <laughs> and for a long time, that, that brought division in my home and it made my wife angry. But over time, as we read the word <laughs> together as a husband and wife and talked these things through, she realized that that was true. So See, the Holy Spirit can do a better job than I can. I acknowledge that and I'm Absolutely. so thankful. For that. And, and what, the, what the catechism of the Roman Catholic system truly teaches is the same thing that the free grace theology teaches. There is something added to right. justification. In the Roman Catholic system, they add sanctification to justification. Most of the free grace movement does the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So the minute you're no longer being sanctified, you have lost something. No, no, no. What we're arguing is you're not being sanctified because you never had any. Thing. Right. Because if you had something, you would be sanctified, which means, again, this is a this is a kudo for your assurance, because if I'm being sanctified and I can look back and see my sanctification, I can rejoice because that means I have been justified. And if I have been justified, then I am adopted. I am sealed with the spirit. God has decreed from the beginning that this would be the case, which means I will be sanctified. I will persevere and I will be glorified. Yes. See, again, the ordo works and it functions in this way. And if you want a proof of this, this is where we read James 2. Yes, I love that passage. James See, what too. use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. James is making the argument I'm making. Right. Or maybe better, I should, better, I should put this rightly. I'm making the argument that James is making. There you go. Because you are justified, you have exercised your faith. Because of that, you are adopted and sealed. Therefore, you will produce the works, like Ephesians 2. You may say, I have faith. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you your, my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Because if you don't have sanctification, it's because you do not have justification. But you are... Um, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Now, the argument we're going to make here is simply, in the salvific sense, no. Right. In the sanctifying sense, yes. And here's why I say that. <clears throat> you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result, the works, result of the works, faith was perfected, which is the goal of works. This is why Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James 1, Jude, hold on, <coughs> excuse me, Jude, 
Luke 6, Luke 12, Matthew 24 that we read earlier all say the same thing. You rejoice, you bear up in your trials Mm -hmm. because that is proving and purifying your faith. It is sanctifying you. That's what James is talking about here. You are justified and you are now because of the works being sanctified. Holy Spirit kicking you in the butt, keeping you moving. Therefore, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Right. See, James is affirming that Abraham is saved by grace through faith. Right. And, and, and when we think about the word sanctification, what does it really mean? It means that we're being set apart. Mm-hmm. You're and, being holified, which well, is yeah, different from holy field. But, but does God set apart? He sets us apart for a reason. And, and the fact that we've been justified means we've been set apart. Yes. So, I mean, we're saying these big theological words, sanctification. you need to know them. But we're, we're being set apart for a reason, for the good works that Christ had prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Yes. It's important. And, and, you know, the Word of God is, is the way that we need to walk. It makes it simple. We don't need to worry about traditions that have been carried on for centuries and in and, and these long pedigrees. Well, they taught it this, 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 and this time. Uh, we need to worry about what the Word of God says. Yes, and what's James's punchline? Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is, is dead. dead. Right. As First John 2.19 would tell you, they went out of us because they were, we're not, not of us. us. See, this is how this works. You are walking in your good works not because they are needed for you to be saved, but because they are a proof of the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. If there is a continuing work of the Holy Spirit, it's because there was a or an initial work of the Holy Spirit. And because of that initial work, you're good. You're in. If you are capable of rejecting the continuing work, it's because you did not have the initial work, which means there actually isn't a continuing work, and we're arguing about nothing. Right which I think is what I do best. I, I think people have problems with the, the, you know, the doctrines of perseverance that God is, mm-hmm. is, is going to preserve his, his, his called out people you know, for his own purposes. I think they, they want to add their free will into that. Yeah, which is a dumb idea. Right. You, you know what happens when people have free will? Read Genesis 3. It'll do you good. There's what happens the fall when, of humanity. Yeah, there's yeah. what happens when you're given free will. Yeah. The, when you get to choose, you are the Nazis at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <clears throat> you chose poorly. poorly. Right. And if you've I, never I seen that, that movie, coming. watch it. It's a great movie. Harrison Ford, Sean Connery. It's awesome. You'll enjoy it. It's a fun time. You don't even have to see the first two to make sense of it. It's just good. Try to figure and, and I'm going to stop rambling. It's worth it. Go watch Indiana Jones, it'll do you good. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun movie. It's a fun afternoon with the family. No, works do not save. They prove salvation. Right. Hence the reason why Jesus gives a new commandment. Not because that's what saves you, but because you're already saved. This is what proves that. This is how you walk. This is how you function. Now, this becomes, again, the basis for my security. How do I know, Romans 8, that I have been called and that he has known me and predestined me and that I am the fir- part of the firstborn? And how have I been called and justified and glorified? How do I know that's all going to be true? Because he's given me eternal life, John 10. He has brought me with the Father to himself, and no one can win that fight against him. Right. No one can snatch them out of their hands. Right. No one can do that because he is above all. <clears throat> Throat's drying out like crazy. 
<laughs> he is above and beyond. This is your uh, Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, this is how this functions. How do I know I'm being perfected? Because I'm being perfected. How do I know that will continue? Because it has begun how do I know I'll make it to the end? Because you're walking in accordance. And you're going, but you're, you're putting an awful lot on me. No. No, I'm not. I'm not putting, our works I'm either. not putting anything yeah. on you. I'm putting everything on the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So what do you do? You trust. Right. When sin is confronted, you deal with it. When good works are presented, you walk in them. But I'm not doing that. Then repent. Repent. See, if you're listening to me, you care about these things. Yeah, and repentance is not just feeling sorry for what you did. No, it's turning around. Turning around, turning back to God and to his works of righteousness that he prepared for us. Repentance is is a mental and a physical work. Right. It's not just, just like... Just like your sanctification is both a mental slash spiritual and a physical thing. The Holy Spirit brings it to mind. Holy Spirit brings it to conviction in the spirit. And you then walk in the newness. Repentance is the same way. Punchline, John 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have not seen me and yet you do not believe. I'm sorry, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. See, I'm crying out to Jesus. Then he's answering you. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Mm. Ooh, that's, that's good. So what is that? This is the will of him who sent me. I love when the Bible does that. Yeah. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Ooh, see, there's your completion. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, believes in him, will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Oh, praise God. So, if you are repenting, it's because the Father has brought you. Right. Which means, when you repent, you are now justified, you are adopted, you are sealed. And you begin to walk. And since Jesus is promising to bring you up, he promises that you will be sanctified and you will persevere and that you will then be glorified at the end because he will raise you up at the last day. It is a secure work, not in you, but in Christ. The minute you start thinking this is a secure work in you or that my works are not good enough, you have added and are in the wrong place. Here, you ready for the dirty little secret? Let's hear it. Your works are never good enough. Right. They're terrible. Yeah. Like, people always talk like, I I get so nervous when I pray in public. Why? I'm afraid it won't be good. Well, it's not going to be. It's your prayer. It's going to be terrible. (laughs) God is going to look down from heaven in his righteousness and go, man, that's what they're worried about, and that's what they're thinking about. And Jesus is going to look down with them and say, yep, and they're ours. See, there's my rejoicing. It's not in the goodness of my prayer. It's in the goodness of Christ. Your prayers stink. Your good works are terrible. They're awful and they are no good and they are insufficient to please God and have him love you. Praise be to God, he does not pleased in me. He is pleased in Christ and I am in Christ, therefore he is pleased in me. And there's a difference between those two things. Yes, your works are no good, but they are spurred by the Holy Spirit and in Christ they are made good. Not in me, in him. Yes, my prayers are no good, but because Christ carries my concerns before the Father, they are heard and in him they are good. So I'm putting nothing on you. I'm putting an awful lot on the Holy Spirit. Why? He's God. God is God, and I am not. And I am not, right. So therefore, I trust in him. I walk in 
him and I rejoice not in me, but in him. Mm. So what have we learned today, children? God will preserve his people. Yeah. I think that's pretty obvious. Yes, he will. God's preservation actually has a quote-unquote look. It's not like, oh, I'm sealed. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. It looks like walking in faith, yeah. walking in holiness, loving God, loving brethren, loving all of those things. And our assurance is found in him right. and not in us. Well, thank God for that. Exactly. Because we would mess that up every time. Again, remember, any time you start thinking, well, maybe if I... Remember that the only time humanity got this choice was Genesis 3. Right. Yeah. We doomed everyone. Not someone. Everyone. All right. Have we missed anything? I don't think so. I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. All right. So, download, share with friends and neighbors. It will do you good. We appreciate it. Leave us a good review. We enjoy it, too. Um, if you missed it later and you want to point somebody and you can't find where you hid this, uh, practicaltheologyministries.com. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, uh, info at practicaltheologyministries.com is the email. Send them. We will answer them, explain to you why we said something stupid, and explain the thoughts that keep us out of the really good schools. Sound like a good idea? Right. All right. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.